0: Harry Bird's not walking
1: through that door. We talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice.
0: It's my team. It's my quarterback. The okay. kick. It is...
1: God, God, God,
0: God. To be the man! You gotta beat the man! The 2-1. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Well, 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 you better have your seat belt on. What a wild week, couple of days in the coaching carousel around the country in the world of college football. Welcome to the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend and were able to enjoy some downtime and some fun family time with people that you know and love or your friends that you were able to enjoy a nice meal with. We have surpassed and finished up, wrapped up rivalry weekend. We are heading into conference championship weekend. And what a week it was. We have a great episode for you this week. We are talking to three college football experts. And we're going to talk all things coaching hires. We had some massive coaching hires this week. Lincoln Riley to USC. Brian Kelly to LSU. Billy Napier to Florida. We've got uh, Oklahoma open. We've got potentially Miami coming open at some point here soon. Virginia Tech just got hired. And by the way, if you when you listen to the podcast... You might hear us talking some Virginia Tech speculation. At the time we recorded the podcast, the Virginia Tech job had not been filled yet. And as of Tuesday night, Virginia Tech did hire the Penn State defensive coordinator, Brent Pry to take over at, at Virginia Tech. So you will hear some speculation about the Virginia Tech job. Chris Bond and I talk, uh, we're talking ACC and we, we get into the Virginia Tech situation a little bit. So you will hear us giving some speculation about the Virginia Tech job. But that job has been filled as of Tuesday afternoon. Brent Pry from Penn State goes to Blacksburg to take over for Justin Fuentes. So, got a great episode. We have David Moulton, who works with the SEC on CBS on Saturdays, works with Buck and Aitman on the NFL on Fox on Sundays, has has a radio show uh, just very dialed into the college football and pro football scenes. We're talking to David about the SEC title game, previewing that, coaching hires, and some all that kind of good stuff. We're going to talk to Matt Zemek. Matt works for USA Today. He's the editor of Trojan Wire out in uh, Phoenix. He covers all things USC. He is dialed. He was dialed into this whole coaching search at USC. We're going to talk to Matt about how did Lincoln Riley end up at USC the financial terms and all the details that go into that, as well as some other coaching uh, speculation from around the country in, in the Brian Kelly situation. And last but not least, Chris Bond joins us to talk things, all things ACC, coaching championship game preview between Wake Forest and Pittsburgh. We're going to talk the state of Florida State football. Is Florida State on the way back? Are they in a rebuild mode? What is the state of Florida State football with Chris Bond? So, Action-packed episode for you. Enjoy the three interviews. You're going to hear a lot of, of great information about the whys and the in the financial terms and all the good stuff that goes into these making these coaching decisions. So before we get to David, I want to give you just a couple thoughts on Rivalry Week. One thing I love about Rivalry, Rivalry Week in college football. It's such a galvanizing force for these for for all the different college fan bases around the country whether it's Florida Florida State Alabama Auburn Michigan Ohio State you know Washington Washington State USC UCLA North Carolina North Carolina State the passion that the, these college fan bases have for their program on this week when there's when there's bragging rights on the line are just incredible and so many times the games live up to the hype You had NC State, North Carolina had a wild finish. You had Alabama, Auburn, went to four overtimes, the first time in that rivalry's storied history that they ever went to overtime. We have just, you know, had a barn burner in Gainesville between Florida State and Florida. Just so many great rivalries. And obviously, you you capped it off with the Michigan beatdown of Ohio State. Finally, Jim Harbaugh gets it done versus Ohio State. And now they are now number two in the playoff rankings as the rankings came out Tuesday night. Georgia one, Michigan two, Alabama three, Cincinnati four. Oklahoma State jumps to number five with Notre Dame at number six. So, and obviously you had Bedlam last weekend as well, where Oklahoma State took care of Oklahoma and advanced to the Big 12 title game as well. So what I love again, college football, the difference between college and the pros. It's just the passion. You only get to play your rival once a year. You have bragging rights for the entire year. Whereas in the NFL, you have divisional opponents, which are great, but you play them home and away every year, so you don't get that desperation of the one-game-a-year situation like you do in college football. So hopefully you got to enjoy college football rivalries of whoever your favorite team is. This last weekend, I know not every rivalry was this last weekend, but so many of the of the rivalries did occur do occur on the last week of the regular season. We've got a great slate of of title games coming up this weekend from uh, Michigan, Iowa, to Alabama, Georgia, to Wake Forest and Pittsburgh. Some unknown teams. you got the Pac-12 rematch, Oregon and Utah. Just a plethora of games this, uh, this coming up Friday and Saturday and then leading into the NFL Week 13 slate as well. So enjoy the podcast. Again, you'll you will really enjoy David, Matt, and Chris's perspective on the different title games, coaching searches, and all the things that go into these coaching hires. So enjoy the podcast, and remember, reach out to us on Twitter at JPoSports. You can also find us on the, on our YouTube channel, Powers on Sports Podcast, for all the video interviews that you're going to be listening to as well. So have a great week, and enjoy the interviews. All right, welcome to the Powers on Sports podcast this week. We have an action-packed episode for you. We've got three great guests that we're going to talk to. We're going to talk to the one coming up here, David Moulton. We're going to talk to Matt Zemick. We're going to talk to Chris Bond about all things going on in the college football world. It is great to be a college football agent these days. I mean, the, the, the bags of money that are getting issued and handed out around the country are unbelievable. We're going to get into that and many other things. We're going to hit some NFL topics as well. But first off, we're going to bring in David Moulton, who we've had on the podcast several times before. David works for the SEC on CBS. David works for Fox NFL Sunday. And David's back to his radio show with the Miller and Moulton radio show syndicated back on the air. So welcome back to the podcast,
2: David. Jason, great to be here. How are
0: you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All right, before we get to the football, You were at Thanksgiving, traveling on Thanksgiving. You've done this for many years. Give the audience a sense of a travel week for you when you have a Thursday game, when you have a Saturday game, and when you have a Sunday game for the audience, especially on a week like last week, Thanksgiving weekend, a holiday weekend.
2: Uh, Do the radio show Wednesday morning, head to the airport early afternoon, fly to Detroit, then uh, do the game on thanksgiving yep. Yep. after the game race to the airport catch a six fifteen to atlanta okay uh then you know got about 36 hours actually so in that sense it was easy didn't have anything friday iron bowl saturday yep. race back to the airport catch a late flight to chicago land in chicago around midnight chicago time get in the hotel 1 a.m chicago time Get up the next day, pick up Joe Buck's stats guy in Milwaukee, <laughs> and then continue the drive to Green Bay. Okay. Do, do Packers, Rams, come back, drop Sfita off in Milwaukee, continue on to Chicago, get about four hours sleep and do the radio show Monday morning, and then fly home and arrive just before dinner. So you typically fly home on Mondays, correct? Yes, because I don't live in Tampa. So not a lot of direct flights to Fort Myers. So I usually have to, you know, there's a connection, a lot less flights, you know, post pandemic than there were pre pandemic also tough to get a late flight out. That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Talk about just, just talk about the, and I know, I know you've done this for many years, being away from your family on Thanksgiving, you're always either in Detroit or Dallas typically talk about the, just the, the toughness of you having to do that and, And then then the camaraderie of the family that you have with the Fox family.
2: Well, I did 20 years of local television, and I worked every holiday but Christmas, whether I was the top guy or the second banana in the sports office. My thing was I'll work all the holidays. I'll do Memorial Day. I'll do July 4th. I'll do Thanksgiving, Labor Day. I'll do them all. I want to be with my family on Christmas. There you go. And so I'm used to working Thanksgiving. But yeah, it's Detroit one year, it's Dallas the next. And fortunately, my wife is uh, very understanding. I do want to drag her to one of these, though. I was going to say, yeah. I really do. I must admit, if of the two, I will probably, if I can, drag her to Dallas because Troy Aikman is kind enough after the game on Thanksgiving Day to kind of cater and host a little soiree for about 15 of us. So, and I can promise you at Troy's, it ain't cheap. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's rather nice digs. Okay. It's, it really is. Okay. I mean, he, he has it in his house and, yeah. uh, you know, you, you see the Lombardi trophies and you see the hall of fame thing and, um, uh, you know, he's got a television that's bigger than some apartments I've lived in. So, yeah, he, he's yeah. not living
0: in our neighborhood.
2: <laughs> oh, he, he drives past it on the way. He does.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, all right. So let's talk about, um, the, The bags of money that are being distributed around the country. Unbelievable last 48 hours or so in the college football world. You know, you got Lincoln Riley to USC. You got Brian Kelly, the bombshell to LSU. Just your thoughts about that whole couple of big moves.
2: Well, first off, they have the same agent, Trace Armstrong. So you have a feeling that, first off, I think it was a good thing they both have the same agent in this sense. It's why the story stayed quiet trace and or his people had to have been the ones that would have opened their mouth in order for it to get out so i think if you're lsu and usc the fact that you only had to deal with one representative or one agency i think helped keep this quiet yeah uh clearly this did not go down in the last 72 hours i mean all (laughs) that i mean come on that's laughable uh my understanding is it had been about three weeks with Lincoln Riley and back and forth for USC Uh, LSU was hoping to get Lincoln Riley Riley ultimately decided if I'm leaving, it will be for USC, which then had them turn their attention to Brian Kelly, whom they had contacted within days of letting Ed Orgeron go. And Kelly had said, nah, I'm good. So something changed Uh, is, was it his realization that no matter how, good a job i'm doing here the likelihood of us winning a national right. championship right not competing for not getting into the playoff but right. winning right. a national championship and also in theory it's going to get harder for notre dame if we go to this expanded playoff what is it that jack swarbrook their ad has already acknowledged they will never get a bye week you know, if we go to 12 and there are four buys Notre Dame by not being in a conference right, not get one of the four buys. So they'll have to win three games minimum. Right. Whereas in theory, if you're a big boy in the SEC or what have you, you may get a buy and only have to win two. Right. So maybe it was that I have a feeling it had a lot to do with the fact that reportedly he was making around 5 million at Notre Dame and now he's going to be making 10. Right.
0: No, no, no doubt. And, and he just got 10 years, not it right. ain't a five-year deal. You just got a guaranteed
2: no. 10 years,
0: you know, that's the and part he, that and
2: he's any 60. Right. So in theory, this is his last contract. It's his last job, that sort of deal. And I'm with you.
0: I think the I think the wanting to win it all concept of he getting to the playoff at Notre Dame, we've always said over the last years, he made it to the playoff, but Clemson or Alabama out-athleted them every time they played sure. in, the, in the semifinals, they lost because they didn't have enough athletes when you're at LSU, it ain't, it ain't about the athletes. It's about the coach. Can you coach them up? And can you recruit them? He's going to have plenty of a- access to those guys. He's going to be able to get in the marginal kid that maybe couldn't get into Notre Dame from an academic perspective. He's going to be able to get those kids into LSU most of the time. So I think it's, well, a, I think it's not as much about the money as to try to win a ring.
2: Well, and Jason, you know, he's gotten good players from Louisiana wallet, Notre Dame, right? And, lsu's incoming quarterback this five-star kid had it narrowed down he only took two visits the two visits were to lsu and notre dame i mean he he can recruit he can recruit he has done a very good job of recruiting and you're right right. the difference now is is that there's however many guys six eight ten twelve that when he was at Notre Dame, he's like, Yeah, I didn't even call on this guy. We had no shot of getting this guy in. Right. Okay. Where now at LSU, literally, you go after every kid in the country. Right.
0: Talk about your what
2: what are your thoughts? What do you think Oklahoma
0: does and and
2: Notre Dame? Well, Notre Dame's apparently Luke Fickle's job to turn down. Right. To me, the interesting part about it is what if Cincy makes the playoff? There are twenty. Six days.
0: Right. Right. From
2: getting in the playoff to the national semifinal. If right. you're Luke Fickle, yes, it's a job, you know, reportedly there were three jobs that he would leave Cincinnati for Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame. Right. Okay. So this fits the criteria. But, you know, Jason, we've all had times in our life where the timing was just really wrong. Right, Like if Cincinnati misses the playoff, I think Luke Fickle's the coach within 48 hours. Mm-hmm. But if you're Luke Fickle, even if it's one of your, oh my goodness, I mean, I can be the Notre Dame coach. Yeah, but you got this little 26 day period and it, you're coaching Cincinnati in the playoff. And, right. you know, if, and say they end up playing Georgia in the first round, right. well, how they lost to Georgia on a last second kick. In last year's bowl game. I mean, Cincinnati thinks they can beat Georgia, whether anybody else does or not. They're like, hell, we should have beat them last year. Right. So if you're Luke Fickle, is the job right, but the timing 100% wrong? If the answer is yes, then. I'm curious where Notre Dame goes. Do they promote the defensive coordinator who's a phenomenal recruiter, but he's never been a head coach before? A guy I would throw out there, Pat Fitzgerald. Yes. Who, who, by the way, on Thursday turns 47. That's it. Just 47. He's won 10 games at Northwestern three times. He's been in the Big Ten championship game twice. In the last four years, by the way. I mean, say that out loud. That's this guy can he's had some down years this year they won one conference game three years ago they won one conference game while you're at Northwestern Uh, it's it's hard but I mean if he can win at Northwestern I agree and here's the funny thing he's at one of the few schools in which going to Notre Dame the academic requirements (laughs) might be a little easier
0: (laughs) yeah and and he's already been in a market that's a heavy Notre Dame market Chicago right i mean and he fits yep. so he checks i agree with that. that's a that's a great that's a great um comment there and here's the other thing there's a chance notre dame can still make the playoff
2: well yeah <laughs> that would that would be the ultimate since and it could cincinnati. be Cincinnati. it could
0: be cincinnati and notre dame both could make it
2: well hell they could theoretically play each other <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I mean you know it, it it's not that outrageous yes it really isn't it's a I couple of, it's georgia winning And it's basically a couple of two loss teams winning conference championship games. But yeah, I know. I think, you know, once again, if Brian Kelly was in the playoff, I don't think he leaves. And so those that are saying, well, why don't you wait around a week? Yeah, a week this time of year is a long it's you got to put a staff together, you got to keep your incoming guys from transferring, you got to make sure that the incoming recruits wanna stay with LSU. Right. And, oh, yeah, you've got the transfer portal and early signing period all coming up within 17 days.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> crazy, crazy. What do you think of the hire in Florida with Billy Napier?
2: I love it. All right. I know a lot of Gator folks are not happy. It's not sexy enough, the whole deal. Right. Billy Napier, first off, he just took a low-level job, turned it into a mid-level job. Right. Right. A school that had never won 10 games in a season before. He's now done it three years in a row. Right. All right. Clearly, A, the guy can coach. But B, he's known as a recruiter. Why did Dan Mullen ultimately get fired? He didn't Mm -hmm. get enough Jimmys and Joes. All right. And then it all fell apart. I mean, Billy Napier also spent time under Dabo and Nick. The word is he has set up. He does everything the same way Nick does all right has set from staffing recruiting the whole deal he apparently whatever nick did he's like yeah that's what i'm gonna do and he's 42 years old young that's what Florida I, needed a young guy yes i love the hire also things are going to get harder in the sec sure i mean if they go to east and west there's the likelihood the alabama schools go east think about how hard the florida job now becomes you got to go through alabama and georgia Wow. Never mind if Tennessee, Auburn, anybody gets their act together, or if they go to these 14 pods, they're still going to have to go through Georgia. And right. there's no indication that Kirby smart is going to stop getting five stars. No, so this right. is a hard job. You got to fight it on their turf. And the one thing I throw out there, Jason, though, is that, you know, we have had elite teams now for 15 years out of the sec, but is the sec going to become the NFL where you're not going to be able to emerge from this conference unscathed. And I don't mean one loss. I mean, two losses. Right. And are they going to start? I mean, think about the West alone. If it stays the way it is now, Nick, Brian, Kelly, Jimbo. <laughs> I mean, think about how good a job you have to do to be fourth. <laughs> right. You know, and that's not if, you know, in Ole Miss and Arkansas, teams have had years where they spring up. I mean, Auburn three times here in the last 10 plus years has played for the SEC championship and or the national championship or won it. Right. Okay. And never mind the East and the Alabama schools move over Oklahoma, Texas joining. I'm just wondering if the SEC is dangerously close to becoming the NFC. No, you're right. No,
0: you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, what's going to happen in Miami down your neck of
2: your area. Are they, are they just waiting to hire an AD or what's going on down there? Do you think? Well, I will say, uh, Oregon not making the playoff. Well, and I nice. be, I mean, you know, this seems to be, there's two guys that, you know, Lane Kiffin reportedly would take the Miami job tomorrow. And, but they want Mario Cristobal. Well, if you're Mario, has your world gotten easier, tougher, okay? Or the same in the last 48 hours? I think it just got a whole lot harder. Yeah. Because you right now have the best car on the road for how much longer right a year because once usc gets rolling you ain't got nothing for that no one in the conference does
0: and he wasn't able to win when he was the number one car on the road
2: still this year right he's come really close you know he's a he in a way is mario cristobal at oregon Brian Kelly at Notre Dame, I can get us into the top 10, right? It's hard as hell for me to get us into the top five. You know, he's yet to do that. And then could he then win from there? Right. So if you're Mario, listen, when Kirby was at Alabama and Georgia decided they were going to move on from Mark Richt, Kirby interviewed and said, listen, I know what it takes to get to where it is. You say you want to go. And here it is. And he you know, put the piece of paper in front of him and said, I, all 27 of those things, by the way, not you're going to give me 20 of them, not you're going to give me 23 of them. No, no, no. There it is. If you're prepared to do this, and yeah. this is how much it's going to cost, we've got a deal. That's what it takes to compete for and win a national championship. And they've given Kirby everything he's wanted, and he is crushing it on the recruiting trail. Right. How many times have they won the final game, by the way? right. And this is your six. Okay. They've yet to beat Alabama. So that's, and that's what I think Mario Cristobal, if he ever gets in a room with Miami is going to say, you guys have not been serious about this. Yeah. Georgia wasn't either. Kirby convinced him to get serious. My pitch to you is here's the list. You give me everything on the list. I'm going to bring Miami back to be in Miami. And if you don't, I'm going to get on Phil Knight's plane and go back to Oregon. <laughs> that's simple. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is. And then, then Lane Kiffin will be there the next day. And then Lane Kiffin will be like, I'll take the job, and I, I'll only <laughs> ask for about 10 of those things. <laughs> oh, God. All right.
0: Talk to me about – let's talk rivalries real quick, and then we'll get to the title game. Alabama-Auburn, Ohio State, Michigan, no matter what – especially the Alabama-Auburn game. I've lived – I was in Birmingham for 20 years. It doesn't matter what the records of those teams are. It's unbelievable how many times those games – are competitive when one team is deemed to be a, a, a way better than the other. Saturday was a great example. If you would have told me Alabama didn't score until middle of the fourth quarter in that game, you'd have been a rich man in Las Vegas.
2: Only once before had an unranked Auburn team defeated the top five Alabama team. I think it was 2002. Yep. And to think that this Auburn team with a backup quarterback and a backup kicker should have won the game. Yes. Uh, It was a heroic defensive performance. And yes, this past Saturday, Jason, I would argue with Minnesota, Wisconsin for the ax, you know, we saw Michigan just doing to Ohio state, what is never done to Ohio state, even Oregon for as much as they ran it down their throat, didn't run it down their throat. The way Michigan did, you know, we saw rivalry games all over the country where the only way to explain it is, Hmm, there must be something to this whole rivalry Saturday thing. Washington State crushed Washington in Washington, where yes. they never win. Yes, correct. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, hey, Ole Miss doesn't win all that often and start Yes. Either. right? Are you surprised Harson didn't go for two at the end of the first overtime? I was. Uh, I was not really because, okay. Yes, because I think, quite frankly, uh, they were having trouble getting a foot at that point. Never mind three yards. So right. I, I wasn't. Also, he was getting the ball back again. And in theory, he was going to put his defense on the field with a lead and right. a chance to win it, which was what happened. You know, I mean, Alabama had to make a kick at Jordan Hare. They, <laughs> had, they haven't had a whole lot of luck making kicks at Jordan Hare.
0: <laughs> you are right about that. You are right about that. All right, let's get to the game. So obviously right. CBS loved that Alabama found a way to get through because <laughs> a two loss, Alabama, Georgia would still be a good game, but it wouldn't be with all the all the pageantry and the stakes that would be on the game. Just your early thoughts about the game Saturday. Um, obviously, Georgia, in my, my view, Georgia, I think they're pretty much a lock to get into, into the in the playoff winner loop. lose, obviously, if, even with a loss. So to me, that plays a little bit into the motivation level, but your thoughts on just the early thoughts on that game.
2: Well, Jason, I don't think people who think, well, Georgia's already in. I don't think you understand how personal – this game is for georgia this is in the soul of georgia i mean i'll take you back to 2008 georgia's the preseason number one matthew stafford aj green no sean marino they're hosting alabama it's nick's second year they haven't done anything yet and alabama led 31 nothing at the half right on their way to a resounding win alabama goes 12 and 0 plays in the sec title game and stafford and company all go to the nfl
0: that's the famous blackout game in athens i believe Correct. exactly
2: after they had done it the year before against auburn and it yep. worked rick tries it on national television <laughs> and at night yes. and it fails miserably so fast forward four years georgia alabama epic sec championship game georgia's driving final seconds they're on the you know inside the 10 yard line Line and you know they were a play away from winning the SEC championship game and then probably beating Notre Dame and winning a national title, all right. Then you keep going forward, right? Just you know, the national championship game of 2017, the SEC championship game of 2018, when they're up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and Jalen Hurts. Yeah. has to come off the bench to bail out Alabama Kirby with the fake punt call that we're still trying to figure out what were you <laughs> thinking and Georgia loses again and because of it they don't go to the playoff right all right they needed the win to get in and then last year Kirby and company go to Tuscaloosa and they decide we're going to put the game in the hands of Stetson Bennett and try to outplay Mac Jones in those first round draft picks yeah and you know for a half it worked and then it didn't and they got drilled. This is personal for Georgia. This is the mountain they for the national championship it's out there. Yeah. But this this they have to conquer. They the have Chinese. to beat Alabama. Yeah. This is 6 years in the making with Kirby. This is over a dozen years for Georgia. The only way Alabama wins this game is exactly what we just saw on the plains. Their defense which can do it, can stuff Georgia's running game. Right. The game in the hands of Davis Love the third, there. I'm kidding. Stetson at the fourth. Okay. Put it in his hands, and then we get to see once and for all can the kid really throw when he has to throw. Right. Nobody's been able to do that. They can rush the passer Alabama a yep. little bit. Yeah. Okay. But they're really good against the run. Yes. This has to be a really low scoring in a foam booth game for Alabama to win. If it if Georgia gets it going even a little bit on offense, I think Bama's cooked can out can, can Alabama block
0: Georgia's defensive line
2: Absolutely not Absolutely not. They only have one guy on that line that can block anybody from Georgia. He's at left tackle. I and think Georgia, the- which has not had the blitz a whole lot this year, but because Bama has struggled with the blitz so much. Crazy. I think I think you're going to see Kirby Smart unleash the dogs. It's crazy to think an
0: Alabama offensive line is the weakness of this of this team. That's And it gonna, is. It is. I know. You're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So well, you're gonna have a great game there uh, in in Atlanta. You know the crowd will be unbelievable now that the Alabama crowd will come as well. Because they only have one loss, so you will have an electric atmosphere. What time's the game? Is it four o'clock Saturday? Yep,
2: yep. four FCC o'clock Saturday. Champions CBS.
0: Definitely don't miss it. Let's get to the NFL. A couple NFL nuggets, and I'll get you out of here. The Rams. You were you huh. were you were there Sunday in Lambeau. Everybody's killing Matthew Stafford and Grant, uh, he's made some mistakes. Why isn't that Ram defense getting more heat?
2: Well, I think now they're going to because that defensive line should have been able to win against that Green Bay makeshift offensive line, and they did not win at all. They doubled 99 on every play, and so it was up to Floyd and Von Miller to make plays, and they were hardly heard from. So that's a big problem. I mean, hey, guys, we're paying you a lot of money. We yeah. gave up a lot of resources. If you don't make plays, we don't win. Right. I mean, so, so that's a problem. There, there's no question about that. The other problem is, Jason, heading into the season, what did we all say about the Rams? Boy, their 22 starters look really good. But if they start to get injuries because of their salary cap situation, they got a right. bunch of truck drivers behind them. And that's what's starting to happen to them. They like to run a two tight end offense. They lost their second tight end. They only have one tight end. He'll put on the field. They've got big time injuries at running back. The loss of Robert Woods. I mean, Woods used to sit 10% of the snaps. Cooper cup used to sit 20% of the snaps cup cup. Can't come off the field now. And because he's playing every snap, they put a guy out there to return punts. And what does he do? Fumbles at the 10 and gives green Bay a touchdown. Uh, The, The Rams are starting to get worn down. They're going to win this week against Jacksonville, get to eight and four. They're going to make the playoffs. They'll probably be the five seed and play the Cowboys in the first round, but they could even fall to the six, Jason, because the Niners are coming. Right, 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 right.
0: Speaking of the NFC, very top-heavy, Arizona, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, not that way in the AFC. The AFC is wide open. You could probably pick seven teams in the AFC that you could make an argument could go to the Super Bowl. Whereas the NFC, I think it's probably one of those three that make it, in my opinion, at this stage. Obviously, injuries could change that. But your thoughts on the top-heavy NFC, Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay?
2: Well, I think Green Bay has the edge because they've beaten Arizona. So they'll win that tiebreaker. And right now, they have a better conference record than the Bucks. Right. So if Green Bay wins out, I'm pretty sure they're going to be the one. Yep. So then we're all going to have to go through Lambeau field in January again. And I know Tampa did it last year, but they also caught a really nice day. They did. They were sunny, no wind and 40. Yes. <laughs> Trust me. They, they wasn't nearly that nice two days ago when I was right. at the game. Right. So, you know, I do think, however, the bucks could win out. I, I mean, too. the road could go through Tampa still. I just have to believe that Arizona injuries, the interior of the defensive line, having to go through two other good teams in the NFC West, that if they lose two more, they run the danger of not being the one, maybe only getting one home game if they're the three, you know, I think of those three teams, Arizona needs to be, even though they're a perfect six and oh at home, Jason, I still would much rather be that offense at home in a controlled environment than in Green Bay. I agree with that. I agree with that.
0: AFC wide open, New England on a big run, Baltimore, Kansas City's coming. A team like Cincinnati
2: is going to be very dangerous if they get in, which I think they're going to get in. Just your thoughts about the AFC. Well, forget Cincinnati getting in. How about Cincinnati winning the North? Right. They're only a game behind the Ravens, whom they've already beaten, and they get them at home in less than a month. And also, they're three and one in the division, while the Ravens still have four division games left to play. Right, and their other two games for the Ravens are the Packers and the Rams. Baltimore's got a tough finishing stretch here. Absolutely. Don't rule out the Bengals. Oh my goodness, the Bengals <laughs> winning the North. Um, here's the deal: if Buffalo can find a running game that doesn't involve their quarterback, I actually think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I'm with you, but they don't have one right now at all. Period. And it's tough to find one in December. You know, until proven otherwise, doesn't the road go through Arrowhead? And that defense is playing much better the last month. Listen, they were were six and four the year they won the Super Bowl. Didn't lose again. Well, they started this run when they were three and four. Right. I mean, they're and the Patriots started their run when they were two and four.
0: Yeah. What a job by Belichick bringing Mac Jones along. He's playing better and better every week. They're giving him more and more to do. And he's, and he's playing within himself. Mac Jones is not trying to be Dan Marino. He's hitting the guys that are open the seven, eight-yard routes, quality coaching by Belichick, and that defense is legit.
2: Top five offensive line, top three defense. Also, Belichick's had some big misses in free agency. He's had mostly hits this season. Remember, they spent big in free agency. It's worked and they missed four defensive starters last year because of COVID. Right. One got traded, but the other three have all come back and played well. Yep. This was a team that won seven games last year, depleted on defense, no talent on offense. Cam Newton at quarterback. Yep. I mean, they're not yep. this is not a fluke, folks. No, this you're this is right. not a fluke. And if they get home games in Foxborough in that weather, look out.
0: I don't yep. disagree. Yep, look out. All right, Dave. Awesome
2: work, man. Tell everybody where they can find your radio show and find you online. Well, millerandmolton.com, But the show airs in the Tampa St. Pete market. It does. Uh, Money talk 1010, which also has a couple of FM signals associated with it. We're the signals are strong Tampa North and across I four. Yep. But uh, MillerandMolton.com. And if you're traveling South, we're on the air in uh, Fort Myers and Naples, soon to be on the air in Port Charlotte, Sarasota and Lake city.
0: Where does the NFL take you Sunday
2: uh, f- for the next couple Sundays? I'm not working just okay. Thursday nights. Nice. So it's kind of, yes. You're in New kinda Orleans nice.
0: Thursday, New Orleans and Dallas.
2: Yes. And then the following Thursday, Pittsburgh at Minnesota, these games have consequences. They do. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well played they'll be, but they do have consequences. <laughs> and again, no Mike McCarthy for the Cowboys Thursday COVID. He's out Dan Quinn's back in the stable. But listen, Dan Quinn, a lot of experience beating the Saints. And you know, because you and I have both wagered once or twice, the road team in the Falcons Saints rivalry does really well. <laughs> so Dan Quinn on the road in New Orleans, he's thinking, I've won here many times. week. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for All listening, everybody. We will be right back
0: on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And now a word from our podcast sponsor, Titan Home Lending. For all of your home financing needs anywhere in the state of Florida, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, reach out to Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Titan Home Lending is based in Tampa, Florida. We can help you with FHA, conventional, renovation loans, jumbo loans, and virtually anything in between. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Okay, before we get to Matt Zemick, I want to give you a couple game picks for this week. A couple games that I like on the docket in the college football championship weekend. We got some great matchups. Obviously, the colossal one in Atlanta between Alabama-Georgia on Saturday. I think the Tide keep the game close. I think six and a half points is too much to give Alabama. I would definitely buy it up to seven. I think there's going to be the opportunity to shut down the Georgia running game, and they're going to try to put the ball in Stetson Bennett's hands. And I think that Alabama can do just enough to hang in the game on the defensive side. Again, can Alabama block the Georgia defensive line and linebackers? If they can give Bryce Young time, he'll be able to find some guys down the field. they got good tight ends. they got John Mechie. They've got... Uh, Williams, the other wide, Jamison Williams, the other wide receiver. Injury to take, to be aware of, is Brian Robinson going to be able to play at running back for Alabama on Sunday, on Saturday, excuse me. Could be a factor on Sunday, but I do like the Alabama Crimson Tide plus the points to keep the game closed. In the ACC title game, I like Pittsburgh minus the three. I like Kenny Pickett. I like a little bit of the defense from Pat Narduzzi. I'm going to go with the senior quarterback, Pickett, going in playing his last conference game, basically. Um, So give me Pitt minus the three at home, or not at home, but playing in Charlotte on Saturday as well to win the ACC title. I think Michigan wins the Big Ten title. I don't have an opinion on the point spread, but I definitely think Michigan wins the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to be denied when it comes to getting to the playoff. In the pro docket, I will be in the building on Sunday in Atlanta. I definitely think the Buccaneers will beat the Falcons. I also have to tell you, I was fortunate enough to win a survivor pool last week. I had the New England, there was five people left in a survivor pool of 540 that I started in. I was one of the final five in last Thursday. Thank you, Las Vegas Raiders. They knocked out all the other contestants in the pool other than me, had the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving against the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Daniel Carlson overtime field goal sends Las Vegas to the winner's circle and knocks out everybody else. But I had to then pick a winner on Sunday, and my decision came down to Baltimore Sunday night against Cleveland or the New England Patriots at home against the Tennessee Titans. Fortunately, they both won, so it wouldn't have mattered, but I went with the home team, New England Patriots, defensively. Uh, The Tennessee Titans were decimated by injury. No Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown, no Derrick Henry. So I took the New England Patriots, and they took me to the winner's circle and pay dirt to become the 2021 King of the Hill in my survivor pool, so... Fun. Thank you Jeff Lewis for putting it on and I'm actually am going to win a couple shekels for the holiday season so a little bit of uh, joy heading into December for me I'm going to cash a nice little check but uh, you know NFL wise this week I definitely think look look out for the Los Angeles Rams are going to be humongous favorites, 12.5 point favorites I like them to destroy the Jacksonville Jaguars and break their losing streak. You have uh, the Colossal Showdown Monday night, Buffalo and New England. Buffalo's about a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I would probably take Buffalo at home in this game at two-and-a-half would be where I would lean in that game as well. You have the, uh, I like Las Vegas at home, minus two-and-a-half against the Washington football team coming off a m- short week, Monday night win in at home versus Seattle having to travel out to Las Vegas. So there you have it. Some picks for you this weekend as well. And enjoy Matt Zemeck of USA Today, Trojan Wires. We talk Pac-12 and coaching hires. How did Lincoln Riley get to Los Angeles? Wait till you hear the details of this deal. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed my chat with David Moulton of Fox Sports, as well as the SEC on CBS. Um, And we have more breaking news to talk about with all the different coaching hires. And nobody better to do that with than Matt Zemek. Matt works for USC Trojan Wires, part of the USA Today platform. And all things, this whole coaching carousel, Matt, started with your boys out in Southern California, Los Angeles, with the bombshell hire of Lincoln Riley. Welcome back to the podcast.
3: Thank you, Jason. I wonder what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) I mean...
0: Um, We got breaking news from USC to LSU to Florida to Washington in all parts of the country in between. What a wild last 48 hours in this landscape of
2: college football.
3: I mean, Jason, go go back in in your memory, you know, through your, your own mental Rolodex. Go back to a time where, you know, has there been a crazier 30 hours of the coaching carousel than this one? Not with so many high profile jobs. But I mean, cause like, there's no really strong historical comparison, at least not in modern college football. Yeah. You know, yeah. Bill, Con- Bill Connolly, the uh, ESPN analyst mentioned uh, Wallace Wade going from Alabama to Duke way back when that's in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, you know, but uh, like in the, in the modern era there there's, there's no equivalent like Jimbo Fisher went from Florida state to A&M and was hasn't been, you know, a big cheese program. Yep. So that's really not an equivalent same level move. And of course, Nick Saban had the dolphins sandwiched in between yep. LSU and Alabama. So that's, he didn't make a direct move, but here we have with Lincoln Riley and now Brian Kelly, we have two, two coaches at the height of their powers. Let's, let's, let's underscore that point. Ryan Kelly couldn't make the playoff for the third time in four years at Notre Dame and he leaves. All right. Lincoln Riley made the playoff three straight years. That's still three out of five. He's won the big 12 title four out of five years. Finally had that big 12 title streak snapped. He's at the height of his powers at the university of Oklahoma. And he leaves. This does not happen. This is crazy. And we have two of these events. In 30 hours, it makes no sense at all.
0: And the, and the interesting thing about this cycle, there's been coaching changes and coaching guys go to different jobs. But these, and we, you and I have talked all the, the entire fall about the USC job, and we never once mentioned Lincoln Riley or a thought of a Lincoln Riley. Both of these, Lincoln Riley to USC and Brian Kelly to LSU, were kind of monster shots out of left field. It's not like these were rumored these came out of nowhere and boom they're done and they
3: happen that's right in each of these instances riley to usc on sunday afternoon kelly to lsu monday evening there was a report like an hour hour and a half right before oh this might this might happen and then done yeah like no one was ahead of the story
0: and everybody and everybody had riley maybe going to lsu as yes. a big candidate there, nobody even thought USC and Lincoln Riley.
3: That's right. Uh, it, all the buzz was about Matt Campbell on on Friday night, Saturday morning and and like he didn't even publicly say I'm turning it down. There were lots of rumors on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening that he yep. had, but like he didn't publicly say anything and then boom. Boom. It just it just it just happened. And let's be clear about the USC Riley thing. You know, Bruce Feldman tweeted, and, and I, I and, you know, I openly said, like this, this rumor from Bruce Feldman's ridiculous. So, you know, he was right in the sense that, you know, there was something to that. But his tweet was USC might quote, take a swing, unquote, at Lincoln Riley. So that doesn't mean closing in, likely candidate. They're negotiating. It's, you know, USC's desperate and, and, and might make a play because it was beginning to get boxed in. If, certainly, if, if it was true that Matt Campbell had turned down USC, the Trojans were in trouble, because Dave Aranda had given a, a, an inclination. He hadn't fi- signed a, a contract, but he gave appearances that he was going to stay at Baylor. So if, if Campbell was out with Luke Fickle already being out, um, you know, so USC would have been in trouble. So that felt like desperation when Bruce Feldman said USC might take a swing at Lincoln Riley. It didn't seem as though USC was operating from a position of strength. So no one was truly on it in, ser- in terms of saying, like, this is going to happen. Yeah. No one had that. No one. Right, so let's get and it the- was the same with Brian Kelly and LSU. And I talked to LSU people. I talked to Notre Dame people. You know, But when that when that report came out, like an hour and a half before the, the report of an agreed deal uh, between Kelly and LSU happened, Notre Dame fans said, "Nah, this is not going to happen." They're working on a contract extension for Brian Kelly, and then he's going to retire at Notre Dame. And LSU people were going, "What?" <laughs> like <laughs> Scott Woodward has not been mentioning uh, this. Any of the back-channel conversations in Baton Rouge and elsewhere in Louisiana, no one was mentioning this. So, just want to get it clear that you know when we laugh about these uh, rumors and, and we treat the, we don't take them seriously. Like this is based on decades of experience in the yep. business. Like it's yep. not because we don't want something to happen. Like this did not line up with our awareness, our, our knowledge of history and how this business goes. These are two total precedent shattering
0: moments. yes.
3: You know, like they, they do not make logical sense. These These moments do not have real historical precedent. It's all new. And we have two of them in 30 hours and you're absolutely crazy
0: yeah it is we're gonna get to the riley contract details in just a second you and i talked a couple weeks ago maybe brian kelly might be a candidate for usc but (laughs) and you and you wonder and you wonder that these two are linked because maybe riley told lsu no so maybe brian kelly was the sex the next sexy guy on the list for lsu since he went to sc so let's get to the lincoln riley details of his contract some
3: astronomical numbers and some perks being mentioned as part of this deal let me let just right before you do that our mutual friend tj reeves you know buck sideline guy on yep. twitter he 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 told me that this is fascinating that brian kelly and lincoln riley have the same agent
0: he told me that tonight too he uh-huh. sent me that same tweet farmer
3: Former Florida Gator defensive tackle, Trace Armstrong. Yeah. So now that gives you a little bit of, of a clue in terms of what, how, how the machinery, how the process of these deals went down. Yep. And usually Jimmy Sexton is the main agent that's dictating a lot of these guys
0: movements. And now Trace Armstrong is at the, at the top of the mountain as far as these coaching
3: agents. Which is a story in itself. Like that yeah. is a really big deal.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's get to Lincoln Riley. Some astronomical rumors about details of his compensation, houses being paid for, perks, private planes. Give us the lowdown of the Lincoln Riley contract.
3: Yeah. So it's not just a boatload of money in the uh, in the uh, eight-figure range. You know, what's the number? Ten million. But what's, the, what's the number? It, it's in the area of twelve. But uh, you have paying for a, a six million dollar Los Angeles home <laughs> uh, paying for houses that are you know way, at way above market value yeah uh, you know just, just taking care of that and a private jet for, for his family to use 24/7 so you know what does that what does that tell you first off it tells you that Mike bone was serious like he was here to play ball yeah he was not gonna try to go in between he wasn't gonna try to half bake it you know and, and and we all knew this right? We knew this was a defining moment for Mike Bone, not just at USC, obviously at USC, but also his whole career. Sure. Like when you're a college sports administrator, you want to be an athletic director as your profession. And you go from Colorado up the food chain to Cincinnati and then to USC. You know that if you get a chance to hire the next USC football coach, that is going to define your career. When, when they write your obituary as an athletic director and you're at a place like USC, And you have the chance while you, during your tenure to hire a football coach, that's the first sentence in your professional obituary in the New York times. All right. So Mike bone knew the stakes here and he, he, I mean, he, you know, not just a home run and not just a grand slam. Uh, What I've been saying, it's a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth in game seven of the world series. That's what Mike bone did. And he so he instantly becomes an elite athletic director. Ironically enough, alongside the guy who, whose school he poached, Joe Castiglione. If you if you ask people in college sports who's the best athletic director, most would probably say Joe Castiglione of Oklahoma. So Bone goes in and raids Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, he did it stealthily and he didn't pinch pennies and credit USC president Carol Fole to. You know, she has a lot of awkward moments in public. I mean, people who follow USC know this, but she got out of Mike Bone's way. She empowered him. She let him do everything he absolutely needed to do to quote, unquote, the land the plane yeah. and get this done. So Mike Bone just instantly becomes a heavyweight. Kind of like what, Mike, what happened to Mike Bone as an athletic director happened to Trace Armstrong as an agent. You're right. Both just rocketed right to the top of their respective professions. So Mike Bone realized how important this was. And it's not just important for USC, it's important for the PAC-12 because we have that 12 team plan being proposed. PAC-12 media rights deals are coming up in a few years. So Mike Bone knew that he had to get this right, not just for his school, but also for his conference. So George Kleavkoff, he is just thanking the Lord yep. tonight because USC USC's is back on the map. and rolling USC being USC again, that, that's going to put the Pac-12 in prime time, finally going to get Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit are going to be calling USC games again yep. on the regular, and that's going to just sky, skyrocket USC's uh, TV valuation and, and, accordingly, the Pac-12's TV valuation. And it's interesting to note that while Washington did not get Matt Campbell, it at least made a run. Like, that is a fact. Washington made a run at Matt Campbell – before settling on Kalen DeBoer of Fresno State so Washington knew that hey we at least have to take a swing for Matt Campbell we have to aim higher and that's going to be one of the domino effects of this Lincoln Riley move to USC everyone in the Pac-12 is going to have to aim higher it's going to have to not settle and it's and it's really interesting UCLA and Arizona State are screwed because right before this Lincoln Riley move on Sunday they settled with chip kelly and herm edwards on saturday like on saturday coming back on saturday after their games ucla and asu basically said we're sticking with our coaches and then one day later lincoln riley gets hired so arizona state with herm edwards in 2022 with Jaden daniels probably gone right like that is a disaster and then ucla sticking with chip kelly who obviously did not fix the bruins defensive problems You know, UCLA is a dead team walking next year. So USC doesn't just get Lincoln Riley, but it's it's in a Pac-12 South where the opposition is not responding accordingly. So like USC, if USC does not win the Pac-12 South next year, Jason, it's going to be a bigger upset than Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson. It'll just be an earth-shaking upset if USC does not win its division next year and USC will be in the Pac-12 championship game Competing for a conference championship, competing for a Rose Bowl, Uh, probably not a college football playoff berth. There's still too much churn and instability to go that far. But like USC is unquestioned favorite in the Pac-12 for 2022, zero doubt in my mind.
0: Yeah, couple couple interesting nuggets about the hire on the football field. One, he brought Alex Grinch with him from Oklahoma highly touted defensive coordinator that have really turned the Oklahoma defense around the last couple of years. That's a big move. And two Riley's had a lot of success recruiting California at Oklahoma. He's got several receivers guys from California had some commitments for this coming up year, coming to Oklahoma who then now decommitted who then could end up at USC and all that stuff. So he's had some success recruiting California. And obviously, as you know, Owning the Los Angeles Southern California corridor is a mainstay for that USC program. That's when they were in their heyday with Pete Carroll, when they owned that part of the country recruiting wise. All the big players from that part of the country wanted to go to USC.
3: Absolutely right. And, you know, Mario Cristobal up at Oregon, his recruiting strategy focused on Southern California because he knew he could raid the area. Clay Helton wasn't going to lock it down because Clay Helton's just not very good at what he does. So Mario Cristobal certainly exploited USC's weakness under Clay Helton. So that's gone. That is done. That's over. Lincoln Riley is going to lock down Southern California. So, you know, it raises a question, you know, about Mario Cristobal. If Miami can get its act together, hire an AD, fire Manny Diaz, and then you put all your chips into the middle of the table, Miami has a better chance now of making a run at Mario Cristobal with Lincoln Riley at USC because now Mario Cristobal knows he's not, he's no longer the big fish in the PAC 12 and the whole rationale for Lincoln Riley to come to USC, he could be the big fish. Like, you know, I think it's pretty clear, Jason, that Lincoln Riley did not want to coach in the sec. Yes. Pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear. And you know, easier path to get to the championship in the, in the PAC 12. At Oklahoma in the big 12, he was the big cheese and he was on the top of the mountain. Everyone knew that, you know, and he won four straight conference titles before this year. And he would be in the big 12 title game if Baylor under Dave Aranda had not been so spectacularly good going to 10 and two. much better than anyone was expecting. Baylor goes nine and three. Oklahoma's playing, preparing to play Oklahoma State again. And Mike Bone can't hire him because he's because he's still coaching Oklahoma. So, you know, so yeah, Lincoln Riley clearly didn't want the SEC. He wanted to be the big fish. Like that's obviously his thought process. So by the same guide, if Mario Cristobal came to Oregon a few years ago because he saw Clay Helton floundering at USC and he said, I can rule this conference. you know, We don't know this for a fact, but if that's Cristobal's thought process, well, that's, so that's gone. And so going to Miami now, makes a lot more logical sense for Cristobal than it did before Lincoln Riley got hired. So that, that's going to be a very interesting part of this uh, carousel uh, coming up this week because there's so many more plot twists that we're going to have.
0: And a point about Cristobal, that's a good point, I think, to think about too is there's an opening in the ACC now. Clemson down a little bit. There's not a clear number one team in the ACC. You got Pitt and Wake Force in the championship game. So there's an opening potentially for Miami. If you get the right guy, you hire the right guy. That can lock down South Florida recruiting-wise. Miami can have a quick turnaround if you
3: hire the right guy. And let's add this in the ACC. What if Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator at Clemson, long regarded as one of the key reasons Dabo Swinney built yep. the empire down there, what if he goes and gets the job at Oklahoma? Right, right. So then, then Dabo has to go to another defensive coordinator. And let's note: now you fo- you're in Tampa or you're near Tampa. Yeah. So you follow the South Florida Bulls. You know that since Jeff Scott left Clemson uh, to go to USF, Clemson's offense has not been the same. Right. So like Dabo suffered without one of his regular offensive coordinators that you right. could count on. So if Dabo loses Brent Venables, you know the ACC could become more unstable. And like that's a question Dabo has not yet had to answer in his career. How's he going to do without Brent Venables? So if Venables is the guy at Oklahoma, right. We'll see. We'll see in the next forty-eight hours. Um, you know, then that that gives Cristobal even more reason, right, to go to Miami if he senses even more vulnerability in that Clemson uh, castle. With, with a crumbling on, under Davos Winnie
0: and a name you haven't really heard. You haven't heard yet in the rumor mill. We've talked about him, but he hasn't kind of been in this last 24, 30 hours. Lane Kiffin. Is he in the Miami mix? Does he maybe get an opportunity to Oklahoma? Something like that is another bombshell probably waiting to happen. Cause there's going to be, you know, like I said, those are the two big jobs that we're wondering about. Miami hasn't fired Manny Diaz yet, but Oklahoma's open. You know, does, is Lane Kiffin get in the mix there? If Miami makes a move, does he, I see this flash higher in South Florida.
3: Yeah. And it just, it just underscores the point. If you're in Miami, you, you, you have to know, you have to know that Manny Diaz is not up to this job. What, what more do you need to see to know that Manny Diaz is not ready for prime time? Rhett Lashley, so you have, Rhett Lashley just left to take the SMU job today. That's right. So you have that piece of the puzzle as well. So, okay, you have Manny Diaz as your coach, but you might be able to get either Lane Kiffin or Mario Cristobal. Shouldn't be a hard decision, right? Shouldn't be a hard call. You need to be getting all your chips, moving them to the center of the table, getting your house in order and lining up a big deal for one of those two guys. It should be pretty obvious, at least if you care about winning, if you care about football. So, so, you know, (laughs) Who yep. knows what's going on down there in Coral Gables?
0: Give us a quick, quick one-minute blurb on Caleb, Kalen DeBoer to Washington. Unknown guy, kind of built a great job at Fresno State. They've been very, very good the last several years. Give us a quick note nugget about Kalen DeBoer.
3: Well, the big thing with Kalen DeBoer going to Washington is that uh, he might bring his quarterback with him. You know, Jake Hayner was at Washington. He transferred to Fresno State. Ah. He could now transfer back to Washington to go with Kalen DeBoer, who's done a really good job as his coach. So Washington is in a position to get a significant upgrade at quarterback right. from Dylan Morris, you know, who was terrible this year. Now there, you also have Sam Heward, you know, who's part of the Heward family, Brock Heward, okay. uh, Damon yeah. Heward. They both played uh, for the Huskies. Right. Um, so that would be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if Sam Heward transfers should Jake Hayner come in with Kalen DeBoer from Fresno state as part of a package deal.
0: Yeah. Okay. So let's go. Um, Let's talk Brian Kelly to LSU. That was the bombshell we're taping this late Monday night. That's the bombshell news. Monday night is Kelly going to LSU. Notre Dame's still in the mix to make the playoff as the coach. So that'll be interesting to see if, if they were to somehow make the playoff, will Brian Kelly coach them through the playoff or is he going to go to LSU? We don't know that answer yet. Very interesting question. I think Kelly made the move. One, he's been at Notre Dame 15 years. He just passed – I think uh, Parsegian is the all-time winningest coach, so he's got that record. You know, LSU, you're not going to have the restrictions on recruits getting into school like you do at Notre Dame with the academic standards. I think that played a part in it as well. And I think Brian Kelly thought, I want to be on the same level as Alabama. Whenever Notre Dame's made the playoff in the last few years, we've always made the comment – they they don't have enough athletes as Clemson as Alabama. They can make the playoff, but they can't win it all. Where I think now at LSU, if you're Brian Kelly on an equal footing with Saban, you think you can win it all at LSU with the right with the right quarterback and the right coach.
3: Yeah, I mean, if if Ed Orgeron and Les Miles can win the national championship at LSU, Brian Kelly certainly can. Yep. So that so that's true. But here's the thing: Brian Kelly for the past decade or so. Has been living a life in which he gets to schedule what teams he wants. Yep. And now he doesn't get to do that. Now the schedule's set for him. Like yep. he doesn't have he doesn't have much wiggle room in that matter. He's gonna have to go play Nick Saban every year. He's gonna have to play Auburn every year. He's gonna have to play Jimbo Fisher in Texas AM every year. Yep. So But he's gonna know, have he's a stack so, deck.
0: He's gonna have yeah, the athletes to do it.
3: He will, he will have the athletes to do it, but you know, at Notre Dame, you do have that flexibility and scheduling. And let's just point out, you know, some people say Notre Dame needs to join a conference. Heck no. Like, like it's, it's working out great for Notre Dame without a conference. I mean, like Notre Dame could be in the playoff for three, the third time in the last four years. Yeah. I'd say that's a, that's a validation of, you know not being in a conference now last year Notre Dame was in the ACC but that was you know such an oddity due to the pandemic like Notre Dame would have if it makes the playoff this year it would have two non-ACC playoff appearances uh in the last three non-ACC seasons so uh you know so so Kelly just when you come from Notre Dame to LSU like we don't have a president again we don't have a precedent for this yeah this stuff doesn't happen but the fact that at Notre Dame, he could he could arrange his schedule in a way no other coach could. Yep. I mean, we're, we're not going to compare Notre Dame to BYU. Those are two different universes. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he could tailor his schedule and now he has to adjust. like He's obviously a, a very good coach. And so at LSU, he you can, you can obviously win the national title. But that's still going to be an adjustment for him. And like at the start of his tenure, I would expect a few bumps in the road. He has to be willing to stick it out long-term with LSU, you know, if he's going to reach the pinnacle, and he he very well might. But first year, maybe first two years, that's probably going to be a more complicated task for him.
0: Yeah, a couple names to think about at Notre Dame. You and I talked, Luke Fickle, his Midwestern – Number one.
3: Number Number one one. on the list, I
0: think. He's number one. Yep. Another name, again, kind of a wild card name, has some history at Notre Dame. And if things, you know, and they have a little bit of time, so they might be able to wait, Urban Meyer. If Fickle were to say no, potentially, Urban Meyer with his roots, his Notre Dame roots with Lou Holtz. I know he's had some off-the-field issues, and who knows how that'll play at Notre Dame with the administration. But from a football perspective, this might be an easy parachute out of Jacksonville for Urban Meyer for a dream job of his.
3: Yeah, I don't think I don't think Urban Meyer to USC was ever a realistic possibility, but Notre Dame, yeah. That's that's the one job, you know, given that given that Urban Meyer has already conquered it at yes. Florida, given yes. that he's already had his run at Ohio exactly. State, there is only one job that Urban Meyer would return to in the college game and that is definitely Notre Dame. I think that's that, that, absolutely.
0: And that would be a way for him to rehabilitate his image potentially, you know, he could, he could coach there 10 or 12 years and kind of call it a day where he can then rehabilitate everything that the mistakes he's made off the field. This could be kind of his redemption story.
3: Yeah. Lots of things for Urban Meyer don't make sense, but, but going back to Notre Dame would. And I think the question really becomes not whether Urban Meyer wants Notre Dame, but whether Notre Dame wants Urban Meyer and all the bad publicity that would come along with hiring him. That, that's the real question.
0: And you made a great point. The pressure of that job is still high, but when you get to play Navy and some of these selected teams that you can play every year, it's not like the sec or the big 10 that urban Meyer struggled with when every single game he struggled. You just saw the angst on his face. There'll be plenty of games in that schedule that he'll be able to coast a little bit where he knows Notre Dame's got the better team nine out of 10 times.
3: Yeah, just want to be clear. I don't expect Urban Meyer to go I don't Notre Dame, either. But like, but if there is a job he would leave the the NFL for, it would be Notre Dame. That's and I think Fickle the specific nuance.
0: I think clearly Fickle's the number one candidate yep. there. No, no doubt. No question.
3: About it. No question. All right. And, please, and if it's and if it's not and if it's not Luke Fickle, then Matt Campbell yes. uh, enters the mix. Quick thought on Billy
0: Napier to Florida. We talked about that a little bit a couple weeks ago. You know, he's got the connections to Nick Saban. A good he's done a good job at Louisiana building that program is that
3: too big of a jump for a guy like Billy Napier do you think he'll fit in okay in Gainesville well I think you know it, this this is this is weird because you know, first Napier's a good coach he obviously meets the recruiting needs that where Florida was getting crushed under Dan Moen yeah uh you know he has the Sabin and Dabo associations so you know pl- plenty to recommend Billy Napier for but Going from the Sun Belt directly to Florida, that's the thing that I'm a, a, a little bit worried about. That, you know, generally, if you're in the Sun Belt or Conference USA, why don't you go to an AAC job, a Cincinnati, an SMU, a Houston, or a lower-end Power 5 job. Uh, you TCU, know.
0: Mississippi State. Exactly, that's exactly.
3: That So usually usually, how it works is you get that mid-level Power 5 or that AAC, maybe upper tier Mountain West, you know, like yeah. a Boise State yeah. or a San Diego State. Uh, so Napier's not doing that. That that's one concern. And the other part is, why you know why was this Florida's first target? Right. Like, you you didn't make a run at Dave Aranda before you chose Billy Napier. Yeah. Like you know, so Billy Napier, I think he's a good coach, and I can certainly see him working out precisely because he can recruit so well. Analytics guys like his offenses. There's, so there's a lot to recommend Billy Napier, good candidate, but but the number one candidate, that's that's the puzzle, and along with you know he's not getting a, a mid-level power five job as right. as the stepping stone right. before getting the really big program. Think, consider the, the the legendary Gator coaches that we've known. Steve Spurrier coached at Duke. Before going to Florida, yep. Urban Meyer coached at Utah, coached Alex Smith yep. before going to Florida. So they both made all those steps up the ladder before getting the king size job. So Billy Napier is bypassing that again. So that is a point of concern. He could certainly work out, but there are certainly some points for concern here. No doubt, no doubt.
0: Interesting nugget that came out of uh, Norman today with the with the Riley news. Spencer Rattler enters the transfer portal. Is he, is he a guy? Again, he's from your neck of the woods out in Arizona, correct? Does he, yep. poten- does he potentially go to an Arizona State or a UCLA West Coast school that needs a quarterback? He, he might be a savior kind of guy. He, he's not going to USC with Lincoln Riley. No. Does he go to an Arizona State where he's from, maybe bails out Herm Edwards once Jaden Daniels leaves, or maybe even potentially a UCLA kind of program?
3: Yeah. You know, if I, well, see, I'm, I'm not Spencer Rattler, so it's a decision only he can make. But if, but if I was Spencer Rattler, I'm looking at the PAC 12 and saying a lot of teams could use my services, right? PAC 12 quarterback play was just not very good this season. I mean, like Oregon, if it, if Oregon had Justin Herbert and not Anthony Brown, Oregon would probably be in the playoff. Yes. But Oregon was certainly held back by its lack of, quarterback play. And then you just go down the list. Washington has, hasn't had good quarterback play. Cal hasn't had good quarterback play. Colorado, Arizona, uh, lots of schools in the conference have not had good quarterback play. So like if if I'm if I just want to go to a place where I know, you know, I'll get I'll be the unquestioned starter, get lots of reps, yeah. like Colorado, like Spencer Rattler would not have to battle anyone for that job. He, he would be, he would be able to play 12 games. He's not going to be yanked around. Like that would be his team. That would be his offense. And he would play relatively close to home. Uh, If, you know, if he doesn't go to an Arizona school and maybe he'll go to Arizona state. Um, But uh, even if he doesn't, like if he goes to another PAC 12 school, he'll be able to make a trip to Tempe or Tucson uh, regularly over the next few years. So, you know, the Pac-12, as a conference, makes a lot of sense. Now, which team? There's a lot to choose from for Spencer Rattler. No question about it.
0: I could see him going to L.A. to go to UCLA because he knows, one, Chip Kelly, good offensive guy, good coach. Two, he's gonna he will then get another shot at Lincoln Riley at the end of the year. Would that be spicy? Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, I, I just – Oh, you know, boy. I just and with it being LA and in the in the in the in the name Im, image and likeness deal opportunity deals in LA, I think that's a great. I think that's a place you could see Spencer Rattler. That would be an amazing story. Okay, last thing I'll get you out of here. Rumors out of Phoenix, your neck of the woods, Arizona Cardinal coach King Cliff Kingsbury is he a candidate to go to Oklahoma? He had a press conference today, didn't say much. Just what are you hearing out of Phoenix about? You know, the, the Cardinals were on a bye last week. So, you know, the agents were in, co- in contact with Kingsbury about all these different moves. What are you hearing out of Phoenix with Cl- Cliff Kingsbury?
3: Well, yeah, here's the thing. So Cliff Kingsbury has a team which is a su- frontline Super Bowl contender. Yeah. Cardinals could very easily be the number one seed in the NFC playoffs, which means they become the only NFC team to get a wild card by host a divisional playoff game. You have home field throughout the playoffs. Yep. That means you have the red carpet to the Super Bowl. So, logically, if you have that kind of NFL situation, you're not going to leave for anything. But, what have we just seen? We've seen Brian Kelly leave Notre Dame after making the playoff a couple of times in the past few years. We've seen Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma after winning a bunch of Big 12 titles and making the college football playoff. So, okay, like if, if Kingsbury leaves <laughs> the Cardinals, that I would just blow naturally from Lincoln Riley to USC and Brian Kelly to LSU. It would be the latest absolutely absurd event to occur in the coaching carousel. So let's just have it. But I mean, just just to be serious for a moment, like these these rumors were so ridiculous, logically, they made absolutely no sense, and yet they become reality. Are are we entering, Jason, a new era in which – coaches just want a change of scenery. They just want to do something different instead of staying at these elite Cadillac nope. prestigious jobs. I mean, like are we seeing a change in the thought processes yep. of these esteemed head coaches who, you know, I think what you and you're... I, you and I growing up, like if you were the head coach at Oklahoma and you were killing it like that, that's the height of your aspirations as a coach. You would never think of leaving. I think what and you're now seeing, we're seeing guys leave when they're when they're on the top of the mountain. It's absolutely extraordinary.
0: I think what you're seeing by these administrations is it's an arms race. Finances are no object now. Mel Tucker gets 95 million dollars to stay at Michigan State. James Franklin gets a 10-year extension at Penn State. Are you kidding me? You know Lincoln Riley's getting 12 million dollars. Brian Kelly's probably going to be getting 10 million dollars. You know, whoever the Oklahoma coach is probably going to get seven, eight, nine million dollars. Finances are not are not an issue with these teams anymore. These programs anymore. Post-COVID, it looks
3: like that they they aren't. But, you know, the thing that just gets me, Jason, is like, does Brian Kelly need more money? No. Like, is he is he in the poorhouse? Same with Lincoln Riley. Like Lincoln Riley was making seven point six million a year. Like, does he did he need that salary bump up to eleven or twelve? Like is it is it that much of a life defining event? Uh, you know, uh, I, I guess with Lincoln Rye, right? he's a lot, he's a much younger guy, but with Brian Kelly, like Brian Kelly's set, like well, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't, I mean, the Notre Dame might have been lowballing him. That's very, very uh, possible. Mm-hmm. But like, it, is that Brian Kelly's foremost concern? I want to win a national title. I, agree. I think it's Brian that. Kelly. I think it's like, that. That that's how I make my legacy. I want to be remembered with Parsegian and Leahy and Rockney, like that should be my goal right not getting a few million more dollars from an SEC school I, I, it just you know it what makes was the, no sense
0: what was the length of Riley's contract did he get five years seven years what did he get uh,
3: I, I, frankly didn't pay attention to that I just know that Mike Bone gave him the whole castle and the whole plane and the whole city of Los Angeles basically I mean, yeah
0: when you're getting the house paid for and the, that's when you know they're serious because this was, like you said, you make a great point about the AD. This was his one chance to make a home run higher, and he did it.
3: And, and the important thing to to note, which I haven't noted previously, is that now that Mike Bones done this, like he's, you he ponied up all this money, but he's going to get it all back in donations. Yes, like USC donations from boosters. I can tell you totally dried up because there was no confidence in the president, Carol Fultz or the athletic department. And everyone was withholding money at USC, buying tickets, season tickets, uh, other various kind of in-kind contributions, what, what have you until, unless and until an elite football coach was hired. So now that bone's done this, you know, millions and millions of of dollars in donations are going to come his way. So it just reinforces the point about, you don't pinch pennies in this business. You don't Snoop, Snoop Dogg and will fail. You're welcome back to practice. Exactly. Back. Exactly. And I think they have a few uh, spare coins that they're going to donate to the USC athletic department. Absolutely.
0: Give us a quick preview of the PAC 12 title game, the Utah, Oregon rematch, unfortunate Oregon lost in Salt Lake city, which ruins the playoff for the PAC 12 yet again. Is this game worth even watching? Give us a quick preview.
3: Oh, it's definitely worth watching because you know we, we're going to see if Mario Cristobal can uh, win the Pac-12 title, and you know if he loses, maybe that spurs him to consider another job. Maybe he'll get fatigued. And the other part of this, uh, John Wilner, the excellent Pac-12 journalist uh, who uh, covers the whole conference uh, as good as well as anyone in the country. Uh, you know, on Twitter at the Wilner Hotline, he has that newsletter on the Pac-12, great Pac-12 resource. If he personally thinks, and it's, it's certainly worth considering. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but it's certainly a possibility that if Kyle Whittingham wins this game against Oregon, that means Utah goes to the Rose Bowl. That you know that fulfills uh, a, a big goal of Kyle Whittingham's career. Yeah. He's in his early 60s. He wants wants to spend more time with his grandkids. Okay. So Wilner thinks that if Utah wins this game, goes to the Rose Bowl, the Rose Bowl game. Will be Kyle Whittingham's last game. He'll then retire at the height of his career, hand the baton to a younger guy, a new coach, at Utah. So there's a lot of drama around here. Like this is a this is a legacy-defining game for both coaches. It might and certainly with Lincoln Riley now at USC, this is this might be the last chance Kyle Whittingham gets to win yes. the Pac-12 title at Utah. So that that's what makes the game uh, very compelling. And then it's also the fact that you had a rematch. It's a rematch of a game that was just two weeks ago. Usually rematches go very differently. So I think this is going to be a very close game. It's not going to be a Utah blowout. It's not going to be in Salt Lake City where the Utes have a big crowd advantage. So I think it's going to be a tight game. I do still think Utah has the advantage, though. Why? Because it's a short week. And Utah played on Friday uh, against Colorado, Oregon played on Saturday. So it's a shorter week for Oregon and the Ducks have several key injuries that they're having to deal with. So this, like, this is it for Utah. Utah I think it's motivation,
0: motivation
3: advantage to Utah with the Whittingham rumors
0: with the, they've never, they've never been to the Rose bowl in so many years. I think advantage,
3: motivation, advantage, definitely Utah. Yeah. And it's an, if not now, when right moment uh, for the youths, because they're not going to win the PAC 12 South next year. That like yeah. we can just we can just put that one to bed. So if they don't want it now, they're never gonna do it. Yeah. So that like that, but that's a powerfully compelling reason to watch that game on Friday. And I, I gotta do give think a shout out. To my,
0: my, I gotta give a shout out to my old equipment manager when I was playing at UAB. He's now the equipment manager at Utah, Kelly Sherritt. So I know he's probably not listening, but if you are Kelly, a shout out to you and the Utes Friday. Where's that game in Las Vegas? Yes playing at the new Raiders stadium in Las Vegas, beautiful setting. So shout out to my man, Kelly Sherrod at Utah, the football equipment guy there. Great job he did when I was a long time ago playing ball at UAB. So
3: Matt, awesome
0: job, man. Tell the folks where they can find you online.
3: Yeah, I'm at Trojans Wire, Trojans Wire on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter, Matt, Z-E-M, as in Michael Uh, E-K. Let me just say, at Trojans Wire, we put out – Twenty stories on monday and similar to that on sunday like we, we've just you know we've been writing until our fingers have been falling off barely eating anything barely <laughs> drinking anything like that's what happens when a blockbuster story happens so like we've been all over many different angles Great job just doing churning it, out just churning out stuff left and right so if you want various news stories on, on and 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 opinion pieces on usc football and lincoln riley hey We have dozens and dozens of stories for you to enjoy. So uh, it's a great time to visit Trojans Wire. wire TrojansWire.usatoday.com is the the, uh, web link. And the great thing,
0: Matt, you're back in the spotlight, brother. USC, back in the, seriously, back in the national conversation as far as being a football power. And I know that's one thing that's been
3: lacking in L.A. is they've wanted that national notoriety that they had during the Pete Carroll era. Absolutely. The Pete Carroll standard is going to return like now. Maybe not. Maybe it won't be eclipsed, but it's going to be something in that in that area for sure. You know, the USC is going to be USC again. No, yeah, doubt. Well, Matt, keep up the
0: great work, my man. Thanks for the insight. You're always the best at these rumors and all this speculation and breaking it down for us. All things college football. Have a great. Uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving um, and we will talk. Hope you real- did, too. Yeah, I did. Thank you. And we will talk real soon because I'm sure there will be more moves here in the next few weeks.
3: Always great to be on your show, Jason. And I look forward to more coaching carousel plot twists. Awesome, man. All right.
0: You're listening to the Powers on Sports Podcast. We'll be right back with Chris Bond from the Midnight Writer from the ACC Network to talk some ACC championship game and a couple coaching moves in the ACC coming up. We'll be right back. Check out my new podcast called the No Quarter Given Podcast, where myself and Peter Blake, we give a historical analysis of all the Buck opponents throughout the regular season. Week to week, every opponent that the Bucks will play this year, we will do a podcast on a historical overview of the rivalry between the Bucks and this week's opponent. So subscribe, rate, and review to the No Quarter Given Podcast on all your podcast platforms. Okay, folks, welcome back for our last segment of this action-packed podcast. We are, hopefully you enjoyed Matt Zemmick's talk about the coaching hires around the country and David Moulton and I talking some SEC, talking some NFL, and we are going to finish up strong. We are going to talk to Chris Bond, a friend of mine who covers all things ACC. We are going to talk the ACC championship game, which you have got Wake and Pitt, We're going to talk some coaching speculation in the conference, Virginia Tech, Miami, potentially. And Chris is very dialed into the state of Florida football. So welcome back to the podcast, Chris.
1: Great to be back here, Jason. How are we? we?
0: Great, great. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know uh, Chris is a big Florida State guy as well. So let's get get into the uh, first things first. Just give me your assessment. Year two of Mike Norvell in Tallahassee, a rocky start. He seemed to right the ship there here the last five, six, seven weeks. And then, uh, obviously, a uh, tough finish, losing in Gainesville on Saturday to the Gators.
1: Well, when you consider it as an 0-4 finish, uh, 0-4 beginning, excuse me, a 5-7 finish doesn't look all that bad. Um, on the surface, uh, a yeah, 5-7 record doesn't look that great I see what's going on here. Uh, but if you follow this through the season there, you can see the defense was the difference down the stretch, especially defensive line. Right. Um, Jermaine Johnson may be the greatest transfer in Florida state history. Um, all, all the hype that McKenzie Milton got, and he deserved it just for being able to walk on a football field again. Jermaine Johnson uh, just dominated and controlled games more than I've seen, maybe even since Dom and Dominic and Sue. Um, I yeah, it just tells you how sick the Georgia defense is on the side because this guy couldn't even get playing time on that group. So right, but he he yeah, the defensive line uh, with Keir Thomas as well at the other end, Um they made a huge difference in keeping getting the offense as many possessions as possible to squeak out as uh, those wins.
0: Are you um? Are you obviously year two of Norvell? You could tell the improvement from last year. Obviously, last year was was the COVID year and all that, but. Seems like they're still laboring a little bit offensively. Norvell's an offensive guy. The question is, does he have enough – does he have the kind of guy he wants to run the offense from a quarterback perspective? Are you a believer in Jordan Travis um, uh, and all that stuff, it, it, or do you think that that quarterback of the future is not on the roster yet?
1: Quarterback future is not on the roster yet. Uh, that could be A.J. Duffy on his way in here with Florida State here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I believe in Jordan Travis has the option now. Uh, all you had to do is see the two possessions that he missed in the Florida game, and how anemic the offense of Florida State became. Uh, with his with his speed, it forces defense to cover to cover an extra gap. Yeah. Uh. So, so it opens up more lanes for the other runners, um, and it helps him get by as a moderate passer. I wouldn't consider him a great passer at all, but he's improved as a passer over the past season. Um. And his mobility has created some of those passing lanes. Right. Right. And again, for me, I think, I think for me, until
0: until Florida state gets the offensive line in order, they're not going to be a upper tier ACC level competitive team because the offensive line is obviously something that's they've, they've really struggled with probably the last five years. Really. If you really are honest about it. They've really struggled probably the last five years as a group. And that's been different coaches and different recruits. So, is it a coaching thing? Is it a scheme thing? Or is it just a player thing? We don't. I'm sure it's a little bit bit of everything when it comes to the offensive line. It's mostly line.
1: a roster thing. It's mostly a roster thing, Jason. Yeah, two re- uh, recruiting classes in the early signing period era transition. Uh, it's already Florida State is a cautionary tale now. Actually, for other schools, you need to hire your coach, fire your coach early, hire your new guy quick to save that class. Because if you fire them at the end of the season, you only got one or two weeks to salvage at. And um, the transition class from uh, Willie Taggart to Norvell already has an 80% attrition rate. It's gone off the roster. God.
0: Yeah, so, and, 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 and now with the transfer portal uh, uh, such a factor now, these rosters are going to be churning over left and right, whether it's at Florida State, Georgia, even the places, the big schools, the Alabamas. Because those guys, like you mentioned, Jermaine Johnson – they don't want to sit at Georgia. If they're going to be the backup defensive end, they want to go somewhere where they can be a player and play and get on the field and, and do their thing. So you're going to see lots and lots of guys changing uniforms every single offseason Now, now that they have that ability to do that. Absolutely. All right. Let's you mentioned coaching. There's been a whirlwind of coaching uh, moves here in the last couple of days. Just give me your quick thoughts on Lincoln Riley, to USC, Brian Kelly, Was the breaking news yesterday to LSU?
1: Well, I spent plenty of time in an early chapter of my life in Oklahoma. I can tell you from my contacts out there, um, Lincoln Riley made his intentions felt about the move to the SEC. Not a big fan of it. And um, basically called his own shot. One of the smartest career moves I've seen in a long time. There is no bigger name west of the Rockies than USC. Right. In fact, I challenge anybody to name the last non-USC national title from the Pac-12, and you got to go back to when you graduated from high school, Washington, 1991.
0: Right. So Colorado, Colorado had their run, and that obviously they weren't even in the they weren't even in the Pac-12 then; they were in the Big Eight.
1: Exactly. So uh, that it makes absolute sense, and he can sell to every high recruit in California, which is the biggest recruiting state in the country. Um, and that leaves Oklahoma in a lurch. Yeah. Uh, Joe stick AD has a big problem because now he's got to sell the idea of coaching Oklahoma going into a couple, a tougher neighborhood in a couple of years. Um, so it's a big win for USC, a big loss for Oklahoma. Uh, there's rumors. Uh, and um, Actually not rumors. Uh, Brent Venables was seen. Right. Uh, at the Oklahoma city airport a day or two ago. So they're, we may have an announcement there for too long. Yeah, I was gonna say that's a,
0: that's a big that's a perfect name because obviously he's got he has some history there. He's been the assistant at Clemson for many many years with Dabo. His sons mm-hmm. are getting older at Clemson and all that stuff. So you know if Venables is ever a, for Dabo, yeah, if if Venables is ever going to be a head coach, this may be the time to go do it because mm-hmm. he's been an assistant for a long long time and he's had opportunities. But you know Clemson down a little bit this might be the perfect time to get out and, and start your own path here in Oklahoma. So we'll see about that. So, uh, exactly. All right, let's get to Virginia tech. Your thoughts, uh, Justin Fuentes let go several weeks ago. You've really not heard a whole lot out of Virginia tech. Maybe they're waiting for the dust to settle with some of these other big jobs. I'm going to throw a couple names out there for you. Dan Mullen, does Dan Mullen get maybe a look at Virginia tech. That might be the kind of lower impact market that might be a good place for a guy like dan mullen what are you hearing out of virginia tech
1: well virginia tech a lot of my contacts here they're it regretfully it they they feel like this was a year too late because now they're in uh a coaching search and competing with names like usc lsu um of course lsu just come off the board of brian kelly um but there's uh, there's 17 openings right now with more coming and so you have to move quick and you have to get it right uh, coaching hire for an athletic director is a you, you live and die by it Right. Um, Dan Mullen would be a great catch I think he would do very well there uh, he seems to do well with I would say moderate resources not resources but um, he seems to connect well with the three and four star kids right better yeah he does with the five star kids who need to be maybe you need to stroke your egos a little bit he doesn't do that so well and it showed in the recruiting um for Florida um that's what did him in uh but he I think and his recruiting style uh I think Virginia could be a great fit but I have heard nothing but any contact with, with Mullen.
0: I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw the wild a card, wild card name. Not it's really not a wild card. It's actually a name that's probably been talked about a lot up there. Shane Beamer, South Carolina.
1: Well, the saying "You can't go home again." Um, <laughs> it may apply to him. Actually, he didn't leave on the best terms. Okay. Uh, uh, now his name gives him full credibility because he's the son of the father of the program. Right. Um, so if he wanted to come back, he would get the deal. Uh, but he just got to South Carolina. And he made a lot of intentions known of cutting his teeth in other places.
3: Okay. Um,
1: everybody has their price, um, and maybe a phone call from Dad. Hey, can you just do this for me? Maybe uh, he right. would get the job if if you uh, if he was off, if he wanted it. And to me, and just thinking out
0: loud here, if you're Shane Beamer, the odds of you winning at South Carolina big are not great, where at Virginia Tech you can at least compete in the ACC and there's opportunities there to get to a title game, things like that, because, you know, you're not dealing with the heavyweights that you are in the SEC in the ACC. There's an opportunity two or three years down the road, if you recruit the right way, you kind of take back that tidewater area of Virginia, you know, there's a chance there that you could get back to, to some relevance.
1: That's a great point because South Carolina outside of Vanderbilt, I think is the hardest job in the SEC.
3: Right. You're going head to head
1: with Clemson for your best recruits in the state. And you're fighting off Georgia, Alabama. Yeah. Um, that's, it's a tough gig. It's a tough gig. I think Spurrier was the high watermark early for him. Right. Um, and he got all he could out of it. So it, it's a tough job. And uh, it. It's not some I saw, I could see him staying a long time anyway. So this, if he looks at it with the rosy glasses, he, this may be his opportunity to move.
0: What do you think about, what do you think, what, what's going to happen at Miami? There's been kind of no, no word out of Miami yet. They got rid of the AD a week, week and a half, two weeks ago. You know, Rhett Lashley just left to go to SMU as the head coach, the, o, the OC there, is Manny Diaz going to hang out or is it just a matter of when he gets the plug pulled?
1: It is a very strange situation. You just fired the person that would fire Manny Diaz. Um, and you haven't hired his replacement yet. So uh, it's got to be the most uneasiest position for Manny Diaz right now. Uh, right. Because the fire his boss, which everybody knew him and Cristobal did not get along well. Well, if you want Cristobal, you have to get that guy out of the way. Right. Because he's not going to hire him. Um I my feeling is is they they want to go get Cristobal, um, but they've got to get an AD in place to go after him. I think Manny uh, they aren't are necessarily numbered, but I think he's more of a Plan B right now. Right. Um. They they know what they have with him, um. But they want to reach for higher ground. And they believe Cristobal would, would provide that opportunity. Question is, would Cristobal walk away from all that Nike money? Right and being a a strong number one or a weak number one or a strong number two out west. Correct. Um, Miami does not have the resources Oregon is ever going to offer.
0: You're right about that. You're in, and again, another wild card name down there would be potentially Lane Kiffin. Who knows if Lane Kiffin's in the mix for any of these jobs? You know, he's had a great, done really well, really well in uh, in in Oxford at Ole Miss. He's got ties to South Florida. You know, you just wonder if uh, when this. Again, we, we, they'll probably wait till they hire the new AD, which I'm sure they, they're working on right now. Because again, every day you lose is another day somebody's gaining on you in the recruiting front, especially this time of the year. So we'll be very interested to see what happens in Miami, Florida. Yep. You like to hire Billy Napier?
1: Uh, I I love the the hire of Billy Napier. I do, and I really think it, uh I don't know if I can say the the certain words on this podcast, but I think this is going to bite. LSU right in the rear end. You can cur- you can um, curse, you can say bite him in the ass, it's okay. <laughs> I think it's going to take a huge huge chunk out of their right cheek. Um <laughs> I do. I mean, I know Brian Kelly is a huge hire. Um it actually puzzles me why he would lead Notre Dame as the all-time wins leader when he's got him almost there. Uh but I've also maintained LSU is the best job in America because it's the only big school and one of the biggest recruiting states in America as well. Um, I think it's a great hire for Florida. The question is, is how is Napier going to do at a Power Five job? He has no Power Five experience, right? Um, but he certainly has proven he can do a lot with a little. And Florida has a lot of resources. They're not the richest school in the SEC, but they're number two or number three.
0: Right, right. Yeah, I do too. I think I think it could be a good hire. I think young. I think a younger guy uh, with, some, with a little more some energy could revive that Florida alumni base a little bit to get that you know. Not that Mullen got stale there, but he had a great – I mean, again, Mullen was kind of very, very even-keeled. He got in trouble Mm -hmm. by some comments he made during the year about recruiting and how much time he spends or doesn't spend recruiting and all that kind of stuff, which Billy Napier sounds like is a big-time recruiter. Napier's got some Nick Saban experience in his background as far as coaching Mm -hmm. for Saban, so he understands that recruiting – uh, that recruiting machine that's necessary at a big job like Florida. So I'm with you. I think he if he can get a, if he can get a quarterback again, that's going to be the key there too. You got to get a quarterback that can play big time football in Florida.
1: Every coach has that problem, though. Correct. Every coach has that problem.
0: No, you're absolutely right. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. Give me. Let's talk some ACC championship game. You and I talked back in the in the preseason right before week one. We all thought Clemson in a landslide. Oh, it's going to be Clemson and who else? And we were thinking, oh, North Carolina, Carolina Sam Howell and yep. Matt Brown, and, you know, Miami potentially. Well, 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 we are at Wake Forest
1: in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange odyssey this season has been. I tell you. Um, let's get, Sam let's Howell, get, Howell, you think it's,
0: Yeah, let's yeah. give full credit to, to Pittsburgh, Narduzzi, Dave Clason at Wake Forest. What a job – those two guys have done to get their teams into this spot. Nobody saw Wake Forest coming. Pittsburgh, you thought maybe Kenny Pickett, you know, good player, good, could have a good year, but nobody probably thought this. And, and and the sad part is Pittsburgh's a heartbeat away from being in the playoff mix if they don't lose – who they lose to, Western Michigan early? Yes. yeah. I mean, if you don't lose to Western Michigan early, this could be one of those dream seasons for, for Pittsburgh and Pat Narduzzi. Absolutely. Uh,
1: the angle, the big angle on this is uh, Dave Clawson actually grew up a Pitt fan. His dad was a, uh, they, he lives in Youngstown, Ohio, that far down the road. His dad took him to Pitt game, Pittsburgh Steelers game, Pittsburgh Pirate games, uh, And he has known uh, Patton Arduzzi for almost 30 years. Wow! They've never been on the same staff together, but they keep running into each other for, for some reason. Um, they know each other. Uh, but this comes down to the quarterbacks, and I, I I'm one that thinks quarterback get too much credit. But coming down to Kenny Pickett, by the way, the uh, ACC was started in 1953. They've had quarterbacks like Charlie Ward. They've had quarterbacks um, like Philip Rivers, um, uh, Lamar Jackson. Deshaun Go down Watson, the list. Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson. None of them have thrown for forty touchdowns and four thousand yards until Kenny Pickett. Wow, that's kind of year. That's why he was in the Heisman conversation. Yep, yeah. and that's why he he would be on my ticket for the Heisman. Um, Sam Hartman's not far behind. Right, he's thrown for uh, thirty-four touchdowns, and he's ninth in the country in passing. Um, so these two guys have brought their teams to this point. Um, I think the edge I would give normally to the defense coach, because the defenses have the opportunity here to make the difference. Um, Narduzzi plays a press coverage. He puts pressure up front. Yep. I don't see him changing that to get after Hartman because he knows that's where Wake Forest is going to live and die. How does, how Hartman does. Right. Um, it's a high risk, high reward defense. And I don't see him changing that. Um, uh, Wake Forest defense. uh yeah, when you give up 50 points to Army, and nothing, against, <laughs> nothing right. against the young men at the at West Point who are giving their lives, the rest of their yes. lives for us. Thank, thankfully for them. But on the football field, we right. should not be giving a 50 points to Army and be considered a, a contender. Right. But yet here Wake Forest is. So, I like Pitt in this game. Yep. Uh, the over/unders at 72.
0: <laughs> Just um, a mere 72. You know.
1: That's it? Yeah. I, yeah I, I I think that's bait, but I'm still confident in hitting the under on this. I, I like Pittsburgh uh, maybe hanging 35 to 40 on this. Yep. I think it's going to be like a 41-31 game. I like Pitt taking it away.
0: Where, where are they playing? Are they playing this in Charlotte? They're playing it in Charlotte. And it'll be Saturday, correct? Saturday, is it Saturday night?
1: It is a Saturday night game. I believe it's a seven o'clock
0: kickoff. I know, the, um, I know that I know the TV executives at ESPN are not excited about Wake Forest and Pittsburgh, but who cares about that? It's more about the fans. You know, it's it, it's it's for these kids. It's a once in a lifetime moment, especially for a place like Wake Forest, which has struggled mightily in football over the course of their history. You know what a job by Clawson, and again, even Pitt. Pitt's, Pitt's got a storied history of football with Marino. Jackie Sherrill back in the 80s, Johnny Major. Tony Dorsett. Yep, all those kind of guys. Hugh Green, which we know from the Buccaneers, Tampa Bay Buck yep. back in the day, but, you know, it's been a little lean over the years, the last 15, 20 it years has. at Pitt, so good for th- good for these two programs to have a great year together at the same time.
1: I want to tell you, all your listeners, I mean, you're going to, I mean, Georgia and Alabama is going to get the press and yes, and for rightfully so, Yep. Um, but if you want to see a great game and see these two teams that are giving it their all make the point jason this is a once in a lifetime for these kids yes this will never happen again for most of these kids yeah. they're going to leave it all on the football field if you love football where you see two teams giving it everything they got this is the game you won't want to miss because
0: um, one there's no there's no playoff implications not like georgia could say well if we lose we're still going to make it this is their chance to win a championship most likely in their college
1: careers yeah, because next year, Pickett's going to move on. Um, yep. It's going to be a lot of questions for these teams to see uh, how they're going to repeat. And uh, we're getting way too far ahead of ourselves But there's going to be a lot of losses on those rosters that got uh, guys sure. that got them here. Yep. So this is it. This is it. Um, Leave it out there, fellas. And uh, this is the best game for pure football I think you're going to see on Saturday.
0: Yeah, great job. So.
1: All right, Chris. Tell everybody where they
0: can find John Line, social media, all that good stuff.
1: You can find me at ACC Midnight Inc. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. Um, you can find my team at at, at ACC Nation. Uh, we also our podcast website ACC uh, Get all the latest and all your all your ACC sports, not just football, or basketball. We got lacrosse, everything covered on there. Uh, come on in, and we'll we'll get you the information to keep you up to date in your team and your sport. Um, and thank you very much for having me, Jason. No, you did a great do a great job, man. And we'll definitely get you on a basketball season once the
0: conference season gets gets fired up here. And obviously, ACC is the center, you know, 1-2, number one or two conference in college basketball. Duke's off to a great start beating Gonzaga. You know, they're loaded. Uh, there's some, you know, obviously, Coach K's last year in Durham. So we'll definitely get you back on and talk some uh, college hoops here in a little bit, okay? Sounds great. Looking forward to talking about hoops. Awesome, Chris. We well, keep it up the great work, Chris Bond. Awesome job. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy. Uh, I'll be in Atlanta. I'll be in your up in the ACC country. I'm going to the Bucks game Sunday in Atlanta, so uh, I'm gonna head up to Atlanta for the weekend and, and go to the Bucks game and play the Falcons up there. We, we'll be celebrating as well. So have a great weekend, Chris. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk real soon. All, all the best, Jason. Thank you. All right. Thanks for watching, listening on the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember. You can check out our YouTube channel, Powers on Sports. You can see these interviews. You can also check us out online. My Twitter handle is at JPO Sports, JPO Sports. Love to hear your comments. And we will see you next week on the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight.